This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Good morning, River Church. My name is Michael Gerald. I'm your guest speaker today. If you don't know why, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I've taken a little bit of time off. Uh, Katie and I just added a new addition to our family about a month ago, and so I've taken some time off uh, from teaching and preaching. And uh, But you guys, give it up for Joel, because he did a phenomenal job. Did he not? Yeah, he did a great job. And so I personally, it was it was great for me to take some time off, like just to sit, or, sit under some great teaching. He did a, he did a phenomenal job, and, uh, and it was good for you that he did that, not just because he did a great job, but because if I had gotten up here um, a week or two after that baby was born, it might have been bad. <laughs> like, there's no telling how things would have gone, right? I might have said some crazy things. So anyways, I'm glad to be back. It was good to have a little bit of time off, but I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, today, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic. We're going to be talking about expectations. We're going to be talking about expectations. Have you ever been a part of an organization or a family or a relationship that didn't have clearly defined expectations for you. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting there, somebody they don't have clearly defined expectations, and sometimes that can get a little bit confusing. Like, let me give you an example from my own life. Um, when I was about 16 or 17, I got my first job. I worked at Albertsons. You all know Albertsons? Albertsons is the grocery store. I worked at Albertsons, and I went in there, and at first I started out as just a lowly bagger. You know what I'm saying? Just bagging groceries, bagging groceries. Then after a couple months, got a promotion, no big deal. You know, it is me, right? You know, I'm going to get promotion. So anyways, after a couple months, got a promotion, and I moved up to the dairy guy. That's right. I got moved up to the dairy guy. And as I was the dairy guy, my training was basically this. Hey, make sure there's milk. And so I would go out, and about every once an hour, I'd go out, and I'd just make sure that there was milk out there. Everything was stocked up and fronted, as they say in the grocery industry, if you know what I'm talking about. Make sure everything was fronted. And, uh, and then I would go back in the back, and I would read magazines, and I would eat snacks, and I would play games on my phone, some sophisticated games like Snake, if you know what I'm talking about. Play this game called Snake. And, uh, and then my, every once in a while, friends would come up and they just literally just hang out in the back with me. And it was a great job for a 16-year-old. I mean, I was getting paid like $5 an hour, but I was just sitting and doing nothing. It was awesome. And so, all right. So I, I had this great job. But then after about a few months in, my boss comes in one day and he goes, Mike, why is it that when you're here, nothing ever gets done? What do you mean? I'm the dairy guy. My job is to make sure there's, thank you. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the dairy guy makes sure there's dairy. That's how it goes, right? But apparently he had all these kinds of expectations for me that I had no clue about. Apparently I was supposed to be unloading trucks. <laughs> yeah, who knew, right? There's just groceries piling up that, you know, hey, where's the, where's the lucky charms? I don't know, right? I was supposed to be unloading trucks. I was supposed to be sorting through them. I was supposed to be walking through the aisles and seeing if there's anything missing. And if it was, I was supposed to go in the back, find it, and put it back. Like my job had all these kinds of expectations that I had no clue were there for me. And what's funny about that is the reason why is because the guy who trained me could care less how well that job was done. He was leaving. He was quitting. He could, you know, he's like, he's out. Yeah, fill the milk. Who cares, right? 
So my boss comes in, has these expectations. I don't even have a clue about it. And I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if maybe you're in a job that has some expectations that you're going, man, yeah, my, my boss is constantly changing up expectations on me. I constantly don't know what's going on. Maybe you ha- you're in a relationship where like these new relationships where you're trying to, in the beginning, trying to fill out what are the expectations? What am I supposed to do here? Or maybe like for us, I think about me and Katie, like the new baby, working out expectations for ourselves. Okay, he's crying. Who's supposed to get up? You know, fun things like that. Yeah, don't ask her who, what the answer to that question is, okay? We don't, we don't want to talk about that here, right? But there's all these kinds of expectations. What's interesting is sometimes many of us come into our relationship with Jesus and we have a certain amount of expectations for him as well. So we come in, we, we experience Jesus, we get, our, we get saved, our lives are changed, and we begin to have these expectations for what he's going to do in our lives. Like we get saved and we begin to think, okay, what, what's the point of this? Jesus, what are you going to do in me now? And some of these expectations are things like, hey, he's going to make me a better person. That's a pretty good expectation, right? Or maybe, maybe my, my, my marriage is broken and, and I need Jesus to be a part of healing that marriage. Or maybe your relationship with your kids is all jacked up and I need Jesus to be a part of healing my relationship with my kids. Or maybe you think, hey, now that I'm in this relationship with Jesus, my expectations are maybe he's going to just give me joy. Maybe for the first time in my life, I'm going to be happy. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to make me more generous. Maybe he's going to make me a more loving and kind person, right? And all those things I think we could probably agree are not bad things, are they? Matter of fact, all those things, those wishes, those, those desires for your life are all good and healthy things, I would say. And these are things that can happen in your relationship with Jesus, as you walk with him, as you grow closer to him, as the Holy Spirit fills, fills you and transforms your life, those are all things that can happen. But, but what I want to talk about today are not expectations that you maybe have for Jesus, but some expectations that Jesus has for us, some expectations that Jesus kind of clearly defines for us and clearly tells us about in the scriptures and what happens in our Christian walk if I'm honest, is oftentimes we get so focused on our expectations of what we want Jesus to do in our lives that we miss or we forget about the expectations that he has for us or the things that he wants to do through our lives. So often we get so focused on what we want Jesus to do in my life that we miss what he wants to do through your life. And the series that Joel just walked us through kind of was a perfect lead-in to where we're going to be this week and next week. It's, you know, it's almost as if we planned it that way. It's kind of weird how it works out, right? But over the last few weeks, you've been talking about welcome home. You've been talking about coming home. You've been talking about Jesus' deep, deep love and affection for you. You've been talking about his deep, deep love for the prodigal, his deep love for the lost, his deep love for the wonder, and maybe even the person who thinks they have it all together, right? This deep love that Jesus has for you. And today I want to talk about that there's something that Jesus wants to do through his disciples, through you, to help bring those people we've been talking about the last few weeks, to help bring those people home. I'm going to start out in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. And, and here we go. When we kind of pick up here, Jesus is just now kind of starting his ministry. He's kind of just getting out, getting things going. And so he's beginning to kind of put his team together. He's starting to get his disciples together. He's beginning to put, you know, these guys who are going to be traveling with him over the next three years together. And so it says in, starting in verse 18, 
It says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Verse 19, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Some places translate that, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And there's something really cool that we see that Jesus does here. Like he's walking around, he's probably taking a view of the landscape. He's maybe praying to God the Father a little bit about, okay, God, who do you want to add to my team? Who do you want to, who do you want to be one of my disciples? You know, kind of checking things out. And he comes up on these two guys who are fishermen. And one thing I love about Jesus is if you look at the way he spoke to him, like I love that God speaks to you and me in a way that we can get it. I love that he speaks to you and me in a way that we can understand it. Like, here's what I mean by that. To the artist, he often speaks through art. The person who loves music, to the musician, he often speaks to them through music. To the guy or girl who loves the outdoors, who loves nature, they walk outside and God speaks to them, speaks to them through nature. To the, to the mathematician, I don't know if we got any mathematicians in here, he speaks to them through logic. God speaks to us in all these different ways. And it's, it's like, I love the fact that he loves us and knows us so well that he can speak to you and me in a way that we can get it. And he comes up on these two fishermen and he uses the language of fishing. He says, hey, you like fishing? You like doing what you're doing? How about I add some value to your life? How about I change your life? How about I make you not just a fisher of fish? What if I make you a fisher of souls? They like so much what he said to them. They drop their nets immediately. They follow him. And as if we look in the scriptures, this is a topic. This is something that we see throughout the gospels. Jesus talking about and challenging us to do, challenging us to be as Christians. And what he's ultimately saying to these two fishermen is he's saying, I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to take your life and I'm going to transform your life and I'm going to change your life and I'm going to heal your life. And then I'm going to turn you into somebody who helps walk other people through that same exact process. Because there's people in our lives who are lost. Because there's people in our lives who are searching. There's people in our lives who are seeking and grabbing onto anything in this world that can give them hope. And what Jesus is saying to you and I is, I'm going to take your life and I'm going to turn you into a life changer. I'm going to take your life and I'm going to turn you into a game changer. And you kind of got to be careful here because what he's talking about sounds a whole lot like evangelism. And when we start talking about evangelism, we start getting a little bit nervous, don't we? Like, Mike, I'm good, I'm good. Just don't make me go, you know, tell other people about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're laughing, but hey right? It's because that word evangelism, that word evangelist, it makes us nervous, doesn't it? It scares us a little bit. Like if I were to say, hey, what is an adjective? If, if you, when you think of the word evangelist, what is an adjective that comes to your mind? What's a word that comes to your brain? For me, I, I immediately go back to like the 1800s and I think of like traveling preachers on horses. You know what I'm talking about? Same for you? No, maybe not. Right? That's what I think about those guys going around speaking from town to town. I mean, for all of us, it's different. Maybe you're thinking about the guy who's standing on the street corner telling everybody they're going to hell. Maybe it's the guy knocks on your door going, have you ever sinned? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Those guys make it, they always come right at dinner time. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, come on, man, let me eat. I'm a preacher. No, I'm perfect. No, I'm not. Just kidding. <laughs> cleansed, baby, cleansed. Maybe for you, you, when you think of evangelists, you think of the guy who's on at four o'clock in the morning when you wake up, preaching on the TV, screaming, turn or burn, baby, turn or burn. What's amazing, though, I might get in trouble for saying this, what's amazing about all those different things I just described is that our God is so great, our God is so good, our God is still amazing, he saves people through stuff like that. That's crazy, isn't it? Some guy standing on the side of the street telling you you're going to hell, and people get saved by that. Not me, people, people. But let me reframe this word evangelism for us just a little bit, because I think that for me, maybe I'm the only one, but for me, when we start talking about evangelist and evangelism, those are kind of the words, those are the adjectives that kind of come to play in our minds. Those are kind of the things that start to, that we think about. But let me reframe that word for us just a little bit. And in your own mind, in your own life, I want to challenge you to do this. I want to ask you to think in your brain who is the person in your life that is most responsible for you giving your life to Jesus? Think about it. In your life, this is me giving you time to think. Think. In your life, who is the person that you would say is most responsible for you giving your life to Jesus, the person in your life who represented Jesus to you by example, the person in your life who made Jesus attractive to you, the person in your life who maybe even taught you who Jesus was. Who was that person for you? I would, I would bet, and it's different for all of us, but because we're all different people and God speaks to us in different ways, but I would bet that if you begin to describe that person, you might say words like, they were kind to me, they were loving to me, they were patient with me, they loved me even through all my junk. They loved me even though I made it hard sometimes. Um, they, they modeled Jesus for me, they were always there for me, they even showed me that maybe they weren't perfect. They were real with me. They were honest with me. They, they showed me that they loved me. They showed me that maybe they really cared about me and they helped me see that maybe Jesus, maybe he cared about me too. And I, you may not realize it, but what that person was doing in your life was evangelism. What that person was doing in your life was showing you Jesus. That person in your life was a fisher of souls. And guess what? They got at least one because you're sitting here today. Acts 1 chapter 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus spoke those words to the disciples, those are some of the last things that he ever said to them. As he's saying these words, he's about to ascend up into heaven. And if you think about your own life, if you're about to go away for a long time and some of the last things that you might say to friends or family, those are gonna be some hugely, hugely, hugely important words, right? And what does Jesus say to them? The Holy Spirit is gonna come on you. The Holy Spirit is gonna empower you. The Holy Spirit is going to embolden you. And then you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses, the witnesses of who I am to the world. Think about that. Think about that just in the context of a courtroom. And I know it's been a crazy week talking about courtrooms. We're not going there, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are like, courtroom, what are you talking about? Just stay away from it. It's crazy out there, man. 
But let's think about it in the context of a courtroom, what the witnesses job is. What's the witness job? Like, like there's all these different roles in the courtroom. There's the prosecutor, their job's to prove guilt. There's the defendant or the defend, defender, whatever his name, his job's to prove, or at least show that there's reasonable, that reasonable that the person could be innocent. There's the judge. His job is to look at the facts and make a fair and balanced judgment. Then there's the jury. Their job's to look at the facts and also determine guilt or innocence. And then there's the witness. And the witness's job is none of those other jobs. The witness's job is simply this. Their job is to share their side of the story. The witness's job is to testify about the evidence. They don't have to know all the evidence. They don't have to know everything about the case, but their job is to sit on that stand and tell what happened to them. Their job is to stand up on that stand and say, this is what happened to me. This is what I have experienced. And what I would say is when it comes to our relationship with God, when he says, you are to be my witnesses, he's asking us to do the same exact thing, to stand up in the world around us and say, this is what God has done for me. This is how he has saved me. This is how he has changed me. This is how he's healed my family. This is how he's healed my kids. This is like, I don't know the whole story, but this is my story. And let me tell you this, man, your story is a lot more powerful than you may think. And God can do a lot more with your story than you may think he can. And here's this most incredible thing is that God is not leaving you to do this by yourself. Like God is already at work in the people's lives around you. And our job is simply to be a witness of what we've, what we've experienced. He's already at work. Like there are people in your lives who need a witness. There are people in your lives who are drowning. There are people in your lives who feel hopeless and they need a witness of something better. They need a witness of hope. They need a witness of life. And that is, I believe with all my heart, where you and I come in. But I think if we're honest, sometimes we feel like, not that we don't want to do that, but I don't know if I can do that. And not, not even if I can do that, but I don't know if I'm qualified to do that. Or I don't even know if I'm, maybe not, a, I don't know if I'm qualified to do that, but I don't know if I know enough to do that. Or I don't know if I've prayed enough to do that. Or I don't know if I've read my Bible enough to do that. Or I don't know, you see what I'm saying? And like, those are natural, normal feelings. I, ha- I have the same experiences, man. I have the same doubts, same fears. But here's what's interesting. Like, we feel like, man, we don't, I don't know enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. But let me say this, man, if you've ever, say a few years ago, you were saved from drowning. You were drowning out in Grapevine Lake, you know, in the water that's this deep somehow, I don't know, couldn't swim, whatever. You're drowning, somebody comes out, they throw you a life jacket, you jump on that thing and you hop back in. You know what it is to be saved, don't you? And say a couple years later, you're walking down the road and, and you go back to that same Grapevine Lake and you see somebody who's drowning out in the lake, like they don't need you to parse like, the Greek text of what the word life jacket means, like in the Greek, you know what I'm saying? They don't need you to explain that to them. They don't need you to explain to them the buoyancy of water and how if I throw a life jacket out here, here's how it's gonna float and here. What they need you to do, throw them a stinking life jacket, man. You see what I'm saying? What they need for you to do is share your experience of how the gospel has saved you, is how Jesus has transformed you. And then when there's questions you don't know, you help them find out the answer. And then guess what? You know the answer too. It's a pretty cool system. <laughs> it's a pretty cool system. And so what I, what I want for us today, I think first and foremost, if I could say one thing, is what I want for us today 
is to become aware of our calling. Because like me at Albertsons, I was a naive 16-year-old, but sometimes we just simply don't know. Like this is something that God wants for our lives. Sometimes we simply don't know that this is what Jesus wants in our lives. And it's not a, I don't want you to feel like it's a burden that he is laying on you. It's simply an opportunity to share with you what you've experienced with the world. Like any of you guys ever go eat at a good restaurant? Has anyone ever eaten at a good restaurant? If you're like me, you know what you do? Man, you got to try this place over here. It is good. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever find a new TV show they like? Man, have you seen this show on Netflix? Let me tell you about this show. We do it with all these other things that we fall in love with in our lives. It's the same thing with Jesus. It's not a burden. It's not like, oh, I got to go tell people about this Mexican food restaurant that I love. Oh, it was so good. I just got to share it. No. Like Jesus has saved us. Like we were singing that last song today, man. How could you not be overwhelmed at his goodness for you? like, Like that simple word, how kind he's been to us. Man, that's a beautiful thing, right? And so it's simply a calling to share that with, share that with the world. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says this, but how can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in without hearing him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, this is one of my favorite verses, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. Other places translated, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of good news. We alluded to this earlier. There's a lot of bad news out there right now. Like you open up your news feed on your phone, you're just like, I'm depressed, right? Why don't we carry some good news to the world around us? And here's what I would say as we begin to do that, as that becomes natural in our lives to share that with other people. Like you have not lived your life to the fullest until you have a friend or someone that you love and you're, you're talking to them about how Jesus has changed you and shaped you. And, and then they begin to talk to you about, yeah, I've been feeling a little hopeless. I've been struggling a little bit. And I just, and you go, hey man, let me talk to you about this. Or hey, why don't you come to church with me? Or hey, and, th- and then God begins to work in their lives. And then one Sunday they're sitting here in church next to you and they turn to you and go, man, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I want. This is what I need. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to find hope today. Like you can forget about what I talked about. I know we'll probably forget it in an hour anyways, right? You can forget about the songs that we've sang that day that your friend or family member or loved one comes in this place and they give their life to Jesus. That will be your favorite Sunday of all time. That will be your favorite day of all time. That moment when you recognize how God has used you to save someone, to pull someone out of the pits of damnation into new life and freedom in Christ. You scared? That's good stuff, man. And that's what Paul means when he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of good news. Because that will be one of the most incredible experiences in your life. You say, Mike, so how how does this work? Do you, you want me to like, like trick people into coming to church or like, you know what I'm saying? Like when we're at the movie theater, I used to tell people to invite people to the movies and then they just show up in church, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're going to see a movie after church. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no, that's not, that's not my expectation for you. That's not, I don't think that's God's expectation for you either. But here's, here's what I would say is that our job is to help move people 
from where they are one step closer to Jesus. One step closer. There's this, there's this thing called the Engel scale I want to share with you today. And the Engel scale is, was developed by a guy named Engel. Shocking. A guy named Engel. And it's, the scale is about how people move from being resistant to the gospel to being a fully formed disciple of Jesus. And so it walks through and he kind of does it. You see it says negative five. That's like, you know, math, you know, negative to like zero to positive. You, you follow me here? So it starts off, someone starts off, and, and many people start off resistant to the gospel, resistant to Jesus, and, and people are there for all different reasons. Maybe, they, maybe they've been hurt by Christians. Maybe they've been scarred by Christians. Maybe they just think Christians are idiots. You know, I don't know. Maybe, like, there's all different reasons, but we experience and we encounter people who are resistant to the gospel. And then God begins to work in their lives, and they move from being resistant to the gospel to receptive to the gospel, where maybe they're not seeking Jesus but they're open to have a conversation about Jesus. Like Jesus isn't a cuss word anymore, you know what I'm saying? And then they move from receptive to seeking and they begin to look around and say, you know what, maybe I wanna find truth. I wanna wanna figure out what the truth is. Is this thing real or not? And let me tell you this, man, we are, I believe with all my heart and statistics back this up that the millennial generation is right there. Millions and millions and millions of them are right there. They're seeking the truth. They wanna find something real. There's people seeking, they're looking for the truth. Is this thing legit? And then people move from seeking to considering. And considering becomes, how would this thing play out in my life? Like if I gave my life to Jesus, how might this flesh itself out in me? What do I gotta give up? Do I gotta stop cussing? You know what I mean? Things like that. That's where, that's kind of, okay. And then then they move from considering to understanding. Somebody's like, do I? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's for, that's the sermon for another day. Y'all really want to know, don't you? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> they go from considering to understanding and understanding becomes, I, I don't have hope, but Jesus says he's hope. So if I have Jesus, then I'll have hope. I'm scared to die. I don't know what comes next, but Jesus says he provides life even after death. If I give my life to him, I'll I'll have that. And that's where they begin to understand the truths of the gospel. And then they move from understanding to one of the best things I hope that you get to experience with everyone you love, new life. And I think there's so many people there who are ready to experience new life. They just need an invitation. They just need a friend. They just need someone to show them how to do it. And then after they become a Christian, they move from new life to belonging. And belonging is kind of what you guys are doing. They find a good church home. They find a good church family. They get involved in a community group. They begin to build deep relationships. And then they go from belonging to growing. And growing is where God begins to work in your life and your, your knowledge of who he is begins to expand. You begin to understand not just that he's good and he loves you and he wants to save you, but start to cut out the sin in your life. And growing is where people, like, they grow in their knowledge. A lot of people start tithing right around there. That's a good one. Um, and then they go from, that was a joke. Then they go from growing to serving where they understand, man, uh, this thing's not all about me. I want to I wanna live my life for something bigger. I want to live my life with a purpose. And there's, some, there's people on our dream team, everybody that set this thing up today, that's where they're at. They're serving. And then they go from serving to sharing. And that's where I'm talking about us getting right there because so many of us, we go to serving, but then we just kind of stop. 
and that's sharing what God has done in my life. And so this scale of discipleship, it kind of goes from helping us understand in a linear way how someone goes from being totally resistant to the gospel and how God gently moves them and moves them to sharing, like, this whole, like becoming a fully formed disciple of Jesus. And what I would say is that many of us probably remember different points in our lives where we were on this scale, right? Like many of us could probably look at that and remember where they are. Like I remember in my life when I was resistant. As a guy who grew up in the church, I remember being resistant. I remember being receptive. I remember see, I remember moving down that scale. And what I would ask you today is, as we're talking about sharing this with other people, I'd ask you, where are you on the scale today? Are you ready? Do you need to experience new life? Is it time to go from new life to belonging to a group? Is it time to go from belonging to growing to serving to sharing? Where are you on that scale? And so what I would say is God doesn't have necessarily have the expectation for us that we'd take someone from negative five to plus five. But what I would say is not that he can't do it because he can, but that our job is to move them one step closer. Our job is to help someone go from resistant to being receptive. And then if we got the time, maybe from receptive to seeking. You see what I'm saying? Like I have a friend, uh, I have a friend named John, and um, <laughs> I love this guy. Whenever Katie and I lived in downtown Fort Worth, he was like my neighbor. And uh, John, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about John, except that he was definitely resistant. <laughs> he, was, he was definitely not a seeker or a considerer or a understander. He was a resistant, right, to Jesus. And uh, anyways, he became a good friend. He, we, he moved in. We moved in next door to him, and um, I wouldn't say he hated Christians, but he was definitely didn't think we knew what was going on, right? And so um, we became friends, and, and I didn't tell him I was a pastor because, you know, I wanted to stay friends with him. And so, <laughs> and so anyways, we, we began to strike up this relationship, and um, I, I was, I'm a pastor, and so my office was at the house, and so we got to spend a lot of time together, and he literally thought I was a drug dealer because I was at home all the time. And he's like, he literally one day came up to me. He's like, Mike, I want to talk to you about something. Are you a drug dealer? Straight up asked me one day. And I was like, maybe, why? And you know why he was asking. <laughs> and if you don't, bless you. <laughs> and it was that day when he came to me looking for drugs that I told him I was a pastor. <laughs> But we, begin, we built this deep friendship, deep relationship, and we'd go to dinner together. We'd hang out together. We'd, he was a musician, and so he'd go play music like, like at bars and stuff. And, and me and actually John Lopez, who goes here at the River Church, we'd go to his shows, and we'd hang out with him and just be a friend. And uh, it was this really cool relationship, and, and eventually we moved here to start the church. He moved to California, and he's not a Christian. Great story, Mike. Great story, right? He moved here. He's not a Christian yet, but I believe with all my heart that I helped move him one step closer. I believe with all my heart that he's at least receptive, maybe even seeking. As a matter of fact, I know this because whenever he comes in town, he still calls me. I mean, we, we'll have lunch once a month because he comes in town a lot. We'll go have lunch. We'll talk about things. He asks me about the church. He talks about coming to the church one day from going to somebody who's like, hey, Mike, you got pot to hey, man, maybe I'll come check out your church one day. That's pretty cool. As a matter of fact, a little side note, the table that I've been preaching on for the last couple months, until last week, it was destroyed by the trailer. Ryan is driving that thing crazy. It was destroyed by the trailer. Like, literally, we opened it up, and it was just in half. Um, 
he gave to the church. When he was moving to California, he called me. He was like, hey, Mike, you, need, you might need a table or something for the church. I, wanted, I tried to pay him for it. I gave him like 20 bucks. He was asking like 100 online. Basically made me pay him for it. Good thing he gave us a discount because it wasn't very sturdy. <laughs> but how cool is that? For the last two months, I've been preaching on a table by a guy who, when I met him, didn't even like Christians. You never know. And what I believe with all my heart is that God loves John deeply and that God wants to save his soul and that God used someone like me to move him one step closer to faith. And what I believe with all my heart is that God can do and will do and wants to do the same thing in your life with the people around you who you love deeply. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And Paul's point is that really God's the one doing this whole thing, but we get to all be a part of the equation. We get to all be part of the process. And maybe you have a friend who's totally resistant to the gospel, but you get to be a part of moving them one step closer. And then someone else comes in and they move them one step closer. And then someone else comes in, they move them one step closer. And two years later, you're looking on Facebook and you see that that person's getting baptized and you're going, I had something to do with that. I had something to do with that. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but to me, that's awesome. It's so cool. And so that's my challenge for us today, that we would look around our world and ask the question, who has God placed in my life that I get the privilege of helping take one step closer? Sam Williams said, evangelism is simply helping people discover how God is already at work in their lives. Evangelism is helping people discover how God is already at work in their lives. Because you see, when you became a Christian, it wasn't that moment that you said, Jesus saved me, that God began to work in your life. He had been working in your life since the moment you were born. Since really, since before that. When you came to the River Church and experienced Jesus in this place, it wasn't that day that God started to work in your life. He had been working in your life for years. As a matter of fact, there's a, a family here at the River, Dottie and James. I'm gonna tell a little story on you guys today. I love how they came to the River Church. I remember the first time they came to the river, they live across the street from the church. I'll tell you which house in case you want to go visit them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I won't. Okay, I won't. But anyways, I remember seeing them walking from their home to the church. And I, and I remember this. This stood out because I remember thinking, man, how cool would that be if we were a church in this neighborhood who had families coming all from these houses, all from these neighborhoods to this place? How awesome would that be? And so they came in. I thought, man, I hope they come back. And they did. I wouldn't be telling this story if they didn't. <laughs> And then they came back again, and they came back again, and they came back again, and they're here today. And eventually, one day, I asked them, said, so what was it that, uh, why did you guys decide to come to the river? What was it that, you know, that made you guys want to come here? And they, I don't want to butcher this, but this, essentially what they said was, well, we haven't been involved in church in a long time. And we began talking about how we needed a church and how we needed to get our relationship with Jesus back right. And so we prayed and asked Jesus well, we prayed and asked Jesus that we want to start going to church. And the next week, the River Church sign showed up across the street from our house. <laughs> they said, I think it was Dottie who said, we told Jesus we want to go to church, and he brought the church to us. 
Look, let me tell you this, man. If you pray and ask Jesus to, to you know, say, hey, we want to start going to church, and a church shows up across the street from your house, you better go to that church. <laughs> and by the way, I want you guys praying for me because I really feel like Jesus answers your prayers, okay? <laughs> but what they didn't know, or you, you know this now, it wasn't that moment that you prayed that prayer that God went, you know what, I'll put a church there. God knew your need, and God had been working to move the River Church to this location for at least a year. At least a year. See, there's people in your lives who don't have a clue, but God's at work in their lives, and you can be a part of that. You can be a part of that sneak attack, baby. Let's get them. Let's get them. And maybe one Sunday, it's your friend who's sitting next to you saying, man, I want to get this thing straight. Man, I want to give my life to Jesus. So here's my challenge for you today is simply this. Make a list of people in your life that you think God wants to help you or use you to move one step closer. Pray for them this week. Pray for gospel conversations that they would find hope, that they would find life. Show them you care about them. In whatever way you can, show them you care about them. Like when Jesus came to Zacchaeus, if you know the story of Zacchaeus, and said to kind of convict him and help him get saved, Jesus didn't show up and go, hey, sinner, going to hell, get this thing right. Jesus walked up to Zacchaeus and said, hey, man, I want to go to your house and have lunch. He showed him he cared about him. Show them you care about them because you do, otherwise you wouldn't care about their soul. Pray for them, show them you care, and then be ready to share. You say, share what? Be ready to share your story. Say, Mike, I don't don't really know how to do that. I don't really know how to be an evangelist. I don't really know how to evangelize. What you do have is a story. And what you need to do when they say, what about this thing of Jesus? You need to be ready to share how he's impacted you, how he's impacted your family, how he's impacted your life. And then I would say, be ready to share your church because this is a beautiful place to bring them in where they can experience the gospel, they can experience Jesus. And I would say, I'll throw this one out here. We have an event coming up in a couple weeks that is a perfect, easy invite to bring somebody to church. Our 10 for one Sunday. Hey, this is, I'll I'll even tell you how you do it. Hey man, our church is doing this really dumb thing. For every person there, they're giving away $10. Why don't you come and be $10 for this school? It's an easy invite, man. And I guarantee you that God's placed people in your lives that he's been working for a long time to get them here that day. Maybe they're seeking, maybe they're ready, maybe they're resistant, I don't know. But maybe God can use you to usher them into his presence that day. Like like Joel talked about last week, carry them to Jesus. Carry them to Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of good news. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that we get to take part in this. How cool is that, that we get to take part in what you're doing in people's lives around us. Jesus, I pray that we won't miss this opportunity. Jesus, I pray that we won't miss this chance, God. I pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the people around us that you're working in, the lives that you're working in, that we can be a part of changing and healing, God. Help us to to be brave. Help us to be bold. And God, I pray that as we're faithful, that we'll get to experience new life in someone around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to finish this morning by asking a simple question as we looked at that Ingalls scale this morning. (coughs) Bless you. I want to finish by asking you that question. What's your next 
step. Maybe you need to go from new life to belonging, from belonging to, to serving, to sharing, I don't know. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus today. As we sing this last song, I wanna encourage you to ask yourself that question. And whatever your next step is, I wanna just, I wanna implore you to take it, okay? I love you.